So let's open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's where we are at. We're continuing uh, chapter by chapter, verse by verse through this book. As we study different books of the Bible, we don't want to skip over anything. And so um, if, we, if we kind of choose things we like, then we'll avoid things we don't like. And uh, we want to just cover the entire Bible, the whole counsel of God, um, the whole word from God for our lives. So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Pastor Rob taught verses 1 through 12 last week. Uh, what he taught, what I'm teaching today, and what I'm teaching next week are a kind of a combined unit. Um, and so we're dividing it up into three. We want to cover it thoroughly. We don't want to try to, we don't want to miss anything, obviously. We want to get all the applications and the points that we can out of it. So uh, let me read verses 13 to 24. And uh, I like to, the reason I do that, I like to read through the whole passage. So you get a feel for it. We don't want to miss the forest for the trees kind of thing. We want to see the whole thing and then we want to see parts of it. So I'm going to read that portion. Uh, then we'll have a word of prayer and then we'll dive into studying. We're catching it midstream, by the way, so it'll feel a little bit awkward, but you'll be okay. Verse 13, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you, and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who also was also chosen by the churches, to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift, which is administered by us, providing honorable things not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Let's pray. Father, as we, as we open your word again today, we pray that you would be the great teacher, Lord, that the Spirit of God would be the great teacher here in this room, Lord, that you would illuminate things to us, that you would make connections in our minds and in our hearts, not just to understand the passage, but to understand our lives and how you would have us to live and the great blessings that we can be to other people. So, Father, we ask, Lord, for your blessing now as we study your word. May it honor you and may it have its way in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Thank, thank you. Amen. Last week, Pastor Rob Rainey, our youth pastor, did a great job on verses 1 through 12. Uh, you, have, you have the notes here. love to give you the guys the notes so you can kind of follow along. I want to just review what he said last week because it flows into what we are seeing this week. And so some high points of what he said last week. I'm just going to read the notes. You can follow along. Giving is a grace a spiritual gift that God imparts to his people, a willingness to give. We saw that in verse 1. The word grace has in it included the idea of a gifting or a benevolence or a kindness or 
a visitation of the Lord, something that comes from God. And so the Bible teaches us, teaches all believers that they should be giving to the Lord, and yet there are some that seem to just have this heart that is just ready to give all the time. They're, they don't have to be asked about giving or helping somebody out in some way. They have a sense about it. They have a, a holy instinct about it. And so um, it's, a, it's a grace that God gives to people. To some degree, to all, all Christians, and then to even others, a greater degree to other Christians even. That's what I believe. Number two, giving can be done even when you're in need. We saw that in verse 2. Talked about the Macedonians, that they were really in want. They were in great poverty. But they still had more than those who didn't have something. So they were able to give out of their lack. Giving, number three, is to share in the blessings of others. When we give to the Lord, when we give money to the purposes of God, we're blessing other people. Jesus did say it's more blessed to to give than to receive. Blessed is that life that, that does so. Number four, The Corinthians abounded in many of the so-called spectacular gifts, but those gifts don't replace the call to give. They were bound in that as well. There was a lot of miraculous things happening in the church at Corinth, and Paul acknowledged that, and he recognized that among them, but he says, that that doesn't mean you can neglect part of your Christian life. We We are to live the fullness of the Christian life, from service to devotion to giving to, to whatever God puts before us. And so he says, you're really blessed in a lot of ways. God's really poured out his grace upon you, church at Corinth, in many, many ways. But don't neglect the grace that he's given you to be generous also. Verse 8, which, uh, excuse me, verse 8, proof of love for others can be shown through giving. James kind of comments on that in his short epistle. He says, we don't want to be the kind of people that see someone in need and then just tell them, be warmed and filled. I see that you're hungry, I see that you're without shelter, etc., but, but I hope it works out when we have something in our pocket that could help them. We don't want to be those kinds of people. There's always, by the way, as we're going through these, these chapters on money, you know, all of our minds can think of the exceptions. Don't think of the exceptions. God, I mean, God gives us wisdom to know when to not give people money and that kind of thing. So don't focus on the exceptions. Focus on the principles that God would have us to bless other people through giving. That's, that's part of the Christian life. Verse 9, which Pastor Rob really got a smile on his face, if you remember, is beautiful. He said, Jesus is the example of our giving, denying himself for the sake of others. Look at verse 9 with me in your Bibles. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And so Jesus is the great example of having something to give and giving it away so that others would be blessed. And we are recipients of that, of that work of Jesus. Amen? We're, we're the recipients of that. If you're a Christian today, it's because Jesus sacrificed for you and gave for you. And so we are to do the same thing for others. Not, according, not for their salvation, of course, but for their blessing. Uh, finally, uh, verse, uh, verses 10 through 12, uh, my seventh point regarding last week. And by the way, I'm not reviewing this because Rob didn't do a good job. <laughs> I'm just, we're just, it all ties together. It's, it's kind of one continuous thought, but it's too much to cover in three weeks. So final point from last week, it's not only the desiring of giving that it's good, it's the doing of it that must follow. The Corinthians, according to the text, a year ago had said, yeah, we'll help. We will help the, the, the Christians in Jerusalem that are going through a, a famine time. We, we absolutely want to help. So they intended to do it and they just never got around to it. And so 
Intentions are wonderful, but there needs to be a follow-through. And so the Apostle Paul was, was encouraging them, follow through with what your intention was. That means sometimes we have to be diligent with whatever in our Christian life. We intend to pray more. We intend to maybe study the Bible more, read a devotional book. We intend to show up at Bridgefest and help. We intend to do serve in the kids' ministry. We intend to give somebody a ride. We intend to do all these things, but then we don't follow through. So I understand that. I have a lot of intentions. Sometimes they drop off. But it's just a mindfulness. I, you know, I really thank God for smartphones. I'm telling you, I don't have to have a good memory anymore. All I know is I have to write it in here and just push alarm, you know, and then I'm reminded. So, just to let you know, even at the church, you can give online, and this isn't a big push for money, you can give online because that way you don't have to, like, did I bring the checkbook? Oh, I meant to do it this week. I'll do it next week. Or whatever. There's lots of ways to bless people, to give to the Lord, but intentions need to be followed through. With whatever, even if you're giving some, you know, you know you're going to see that homeless person downtown, you, you're telling yourself, I need to stick 10 bucks in my pocket or a food coupon or something, or, you know, I, I intend to help them, and then you just don't do it, and then you see them, and it's like, oh, I wish I had that, you know? It's that kind of thing. So the Corinthians were encouraged to follow through. So, quick review from last week. Let's look at this week. The, the title of this message is The Proper Handling of God's Money. And what we see in this portion of Scripture is that the Apostle Paul and his colleagues were very, very careful to be honest about how they handled the money. Very careful to be people of integrity and, and to be people of accountability. And it's a very, very sad thing that, you know, in my life as a pastor, I have shied away a little bit from speaking about money because of all the bad examples that we see on television and hear about and read about. There's been so many cases where a pastor or a pastor and his family, uh, they were the only ones that received the offerings in the church and they're the only ones that count it and they're the, the only ones that, that know where to spend the money. And if you question them, they say, are you questioning my integrity? I, I stand before the Lord, you know. Paul, Paul wouldn't do that. He wouldn't say, I stand before the Lord. He was also able to say, I, I also stand before men. You can examine my life. And so this, this chapter is really, really wonderful about the Apostle Paul, first and foremost, the ministry of a church or the ministry of a Christian organization. And then finally, us as individuals, can we say, I can stand before the Lord and, and say that I have managed the money well that he's given me. And so we're going to see all three of those applications. Look at verse 13. The purpose of giving isn't to make life difficult for others, or for yourself, excuse me. The purpose of our giving to the Lord isn't so that our lives are difficult. Verse 13. I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. Paul isn't saying my intention isn't to make them rich and make you poor. And it's real easy for us sometimes, guys, when we think about giving to the Lord, and we're talking about money primarily, but it might be material possessions, Time is a different thing. So we're talking about stuff. Sometimes we can think about what our loss is going to be. Sometimes when we're thinking about giving to the Lord, we think, wow, that means I have to go without this or without that. And, and you know what? Yeah, you're right. You do. You have to go without this or without that. That money that you could have used for yourself, for this or for that, now is not available to you, and you've decided to give it to somebody else for the purposes of God and for their, and for their blessing. Now, the Apostle Paul says something very, very interesting. He says, I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. The word burdened, look in your notes, it means pressure, tribulation, affliction, distress, straits. Now there might be a few of us that as we give to the Lord, it puts, it puts a burden on us. It makes life logistically day-to-day 
pretty difficult. That, that might be the case for some of us here. But probably for the majority of us, as we give to the Lord, it just makes life a little inconvenient. Or there's just something, another toy that we can't buy or another uh, thing that we can't take our grandchildren to. You're going to hear more and more grandchildren examples as, I get, as we get older. You know, when we give to the Lord, when I, when I give to the Lord, when you guys give to the Lord, probably for most of us, it doesn't cause a burden. It just means like, oh, I guess I can't do that one thing, but I can live without that one thing. Or I can't buy that other thing, but I don't need that other thing. I've got you know, an older model and it works fine. and It's that kind of thing. So for us, these people, the Macedonians were the example, they were giving out of poverty. For us, we don't usually face that. But it is good for us to question our own hearts and to say, wow, as I give to the Lord, it's not really a burden. I'm not, look at, look at, look at the, uh, the definition. I'm not under pressure. It's not going to result in me going through tribulation or affliction. It just means that maybe I'll go without this or that or we can't go there or we have to cut the vacation a day shorter. So there's quite a difference, isn't there? You guys with me? Okay, look, we're talking about money today. Let's just all be okay with it, okay? <laughs> it's, part, it's part of life. It's part of the Christian life. And so the intention for God isn't that, you know, there was some saying in churches years ago, give till it hurts and then give till it feels better. God isn't saying give till it hurts. But as we give, we give sacrificially. But not so that we're burdened. God isn't interested in making life miserable for you. That's not his intention. He says, give so that legitimate needs can be met. Look at verse 14 and 15. But by an equality, that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be equality. Now Paul is not talking about communism. Communism is that form of, of government where everybody works, puts their money in a big pot, and everybody gets the same amount. He's not talking about that. He's talking, and, and notice that the wording is very, is very interesting in verse 14, but by an equality that now at this time you're abundance. So at that time, the Corinthians had an abundance. But maybe next year they won't have an abundance. So it's very, very situational. He's saying, right now you really have the money to give. And there are really some people down in Jerusalem that really, really need it. So right now, at this time, may your abundance result in meeting their needs. And who knows, he says, maybe next year you're going to be in need and they're going to have an abundance. So it's not a matter of anything else except meeting their need. And it's not some kind of form of communism. Look at verse 15. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. Now, a lot of times when you see in your Bible, in my Bible, those words are in italics. And it means that it's a quote from the Old Testament. And there was a story in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 16. The nation of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. And so God rescued them out of Egypt and they passed through the Red Sea and now they're going through the desert wilderness wanderings. So they need to be fed in the desert. There's three, four million people. They need to be fed. And so God sent daily, or six days a week, a bread-like substance called manna. And the Lord said, this is what you're to do. Every morning when you get up, there's going to be manna on the ground, this bread-like substance. And I want you to gather an omer, which is about a quart. Gather that much for each person. And, and it, apparently it had all the nutritional value that we needed, I mean, that they needed. So they lived on it for 40 years. And he said, when you go out, don't, don't, don't gather too much. Just gather what you need. 
And interestingly, the story says when a family would go out and gather, they probably weren't exactly measuring it out perfectly for each one, but when they would go back to their tent, as they would look at it all, they would say, oh, dad gathered a little too much, mom didn't gather quite enough, junior hardly gathered anything, and the big brother gathered a lot, but guess what? It's worked out that everybody has exactly what they need. And it was kind of a miraculous thing that the Lord did. And that's what he's saying here, that God will provide our needs. He'll give us exactly what we need. It was an interesting thing that would happen, though. God said, if you get too much because you're selfish, by the time you wake up in the morning, it's going to be putrid and filled with worms. What I provide for you is to be used, not to be hoarded. That's an interesting concept. So they would do, put in the extra work, but it wouldn't be any blessing to them or to anybody else. So Paul is simply saying here that God supplied for them. Look at verse 15. He who gathered much had nothing left over. He who gathered little had no lack. You can read that story in Exodus 16. It's just simply that God provides for his children exactly what they need. And sometimes he does it like within a family by somebody having a little more and somebody having a little less, but everybody's needs got met. So that's a principle there. What do we have so far? Giving shouldn't cause our lives to be miserable, but giving is sacrificial, and we're going to get to that as we study next week. Legitimate needs can be met. Physical needs, spiritual needs. Guys, I'll just be as blunt as blunt can be. The reason we're doing Bridge Fest is so that Christians can be out meeting non-Christians. I hope every single one of you shows up with a friend, and if, if you, all the people you invite don't show up, that you would just show up anyway. And you know what? Maybe somebody that you know from the community shows up and they go, hey, what are you doing here? Hey, what are you doing here? Who's putting this on? Well, my church is putting this on. Like how I can be two people at once. Well, why are they doing this? Well, we just want to be a blessing to the community. And then you start talking and ministry happens. We are paying the city appropriate fees to do that. We are, you know, there's some uh, expenses that are being done. We are doing this. We are in a couple of Christian bands, a couple of non-Christian bands. Uh, Christian soloist, Christian, uh, non-Christian soloist, people that we're friends with, people that we know in the community. Hey, let's get together. We don't need to do a crusade. Let's go meet people. Let's build a bridge and call it Bridge Fest. That happens because there's some money in the bank account so we can do that. That's ministry. That's ministry. It's reaching out. Or maybe you're going to run into another uh, Christian that day, maybe who's away from the Lord or they've been away from church and what's this going on and I kind of know these people, I used to go to that church, but you, because you're there and they know you, because you show up, now you have a ministry opportunity. Our lives are about serving God, right? Amen? But we have to show up. You can't just have the uniform and stay home. Put on the uniform and get out on the field. And so that's why we do these things. That's why we want to do uh, a, a back-to-school carnival and bless the school across the street. Not do a crusade for them, simply give them backpacks and things that are needed and meet them and let the kids have fun and say, hey, we're your neighbors and we care about you. And if we get enough people, we're going to provide coffee five days a week right out there. Morning coffee, that's another ministry we want to do. It isn't expensive. A couple of people at Monday through Friday just show up Serve some Starbucks coffee. Why are you doing this? Just because we want to be, we're your neighbors. We want to bless you guys. God loves you. If you're interested, we can talk. If not, enjoy the coffee. 
That, that's, what this, this, that's what this thing is about. Not just meeting needs, but reaching out. And so Paul says legitimate needs are to be met, but there's also legitimate needs such as people are living without the love of God. They're living without Jesus. That's the most legitimate need. And so the well-dressed people that we might meet at Bridgefest are living, as the Bible says, without hope in the world, with no hope of heaven and no relationship with God. That's a need, guys. That's a legitimate need that, that you can meet, that we can meet as a church. So, starting at verse 16, the Apostle Paul turns the corner a little bit and he starts talking about the people that God is using through Paul and Titus and others the people that God is using and how careful they were in handling the money so that there would be no televangelist scandal. Kind of a joke. Apparently not funny. I think I'm hilarious. I don't even need you guys to laugh at myself. You're just here. okay? I just stay home and going to crack myself up all the time. My wife looks at me, shakes her head. The dog thinks I'm terrific. you know. These guys were careful with money. They were very, very careful with money. Look at verse 16. He talks about Titus. Titus had this desire to give and to help. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. Titus was eager to help. He knew that the Corinthians had intended to give some money to help those who were legitimately suffering in Jerusalem. And he says, you know what? I care about those people in Jerusalem. I care about those in need. But check this out. I also care about those who could be helping. I want to urge them to help. I want to exhort them. I want to come alongside of them. He's not going to send them a nasty email or something. He's going to come alongside of them and just say, hey, thank you so much that you guys intended to bless those people. You kind of forgot about it. Let's get it going again. It's a great idea. So I love that Paul says about him, uh, verse 16, thanks be to God who had the same earnest care. And notice what it says here, God who puts the same earnest care for you. God put this earnest care into the heart of Titus. Titus had this heart that was caring about people. He had a desire to see them. It, It says in verse 17, he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. So Paul said, hey, Titus, can you be involved in this thing? Can you help the Corinthians remember their intention? Paul would say, I fully believe that they intended to give, but they just forgot about it. They got busy, whatever. But Titus, would you mind, would you do this? Would you go visit them? And Would you remind them that there's some people that are really, really suffering? Could you encourage them to give because of the grace of God that's been poured out on them? And Titus would probably reply something like this, I was already planning to. It was already in my heart. God's moving on my heart. We've got to help those people. And that's the kind of guy that Paul wanted to employ, if you will, in the ministry of taking care of finances. Somebody that really cared. God put a concern in Titus's heart and Titus followed through. Here's a question, guys. This is an application. You can look at the notes, second page. Titus was not motivated by human pressure. The last thing that I would ever want to have happen here at Cornerstone is that you would ever feel like I have to do something because the pastor and the elders and the leaders and other people are pressuring me. My goodness, that's the last thing that I would ever want to have happen. 
and in an effort to, to keep that from happening, sometimes we neglect just opening up the Bible and seeing what the Bible says about money. Because people over the years have so often pressured people to give. And may I just say this. For all of our strengths and weaknesses and faults and everything, one thing that you will never have here is pressure about money. I promise you, you will never get pressure here from me or from any of the leadership about giving. You don't need human pressure. Not at all. May may I just say this, and I I don't mean to... to, uh, Definitely do not mean to uh, be critical about the way any other church does it or any, anything else. No, we're just talking about church. We're talking about Christianity, you know. I, I know, and this is going to sound really weird, but you guys know my heart, I hope and pray. I know we could get more money if we passed the play. I know we could. I know we could. Because people just forget and, oh, I don't want to look stupid. I'll put 20 bucks on the plate or 10 bucks or, you know, I don't want to put any coins in because everybody will hear it, you know, and, you know. I, I, know that, I know that our offerings would go up if we passed the plate. I know that. I know that. There's other churches that do campaigns to motivate the church and, uh, you know, to give and this and that, and they pump you up, you know, and the cheerleaders, and, come on, come on, we're going to put a thermometer on the wall. Come on, we're gonna, you know. That will never, ever, 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 as long as I'm the pastor, ever happening. And the next pastor, I'll come out of the grave and work him. If, if, he, if he does it, it will never happen here. It will never happen here. promise you. But God has to put that in your heart. Verse 16, or seven, uh, 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. If we don't give to the Lord out of our own heart, may I say this, cutting my own throat in some people's minds, may I say this, don't give. If you don't want to, then don't. There's no eternal reward for it that God doesn't recognize it. Sure, we'll use the money to keep the lights on and things, but don't give if it's not in your heart. Don't give. Because it's supposed to be an act of worship. It's supposed to be an act of gratitude. It's supposed to be a recognition of, God, everything that I have is, comes from everything that I have from you. It's your breath in our lungs. Everything I have, cannot I give a portion of this back to you for your kingdom and for your glory? And if we can't do that, then just keep it. Just keep it. Or spend it on some social thing, helping people, whatever, you know? And I'm not trying to be sarcastic about it, but we should just have freedom, just, you know, but, but really the, the right biblical response is, you've given me everything. And I'm concerned about your kingdom. And I'm concerned about people in Napa that don't know you. And I'm concerned about pastors in South Baja that have been trained poorly and maybe need some new training. And I'm concerned about the missionaries, Mark and... Uh, Yoakum over in Kosovo and, the, and, and the, Her- the Howards over in Harrogate, England, where the cost of living is twice as much and the ground is as hard as steel spiritually. And I'm concerned about Obed in Rosarito, a missionary musician. And I'm concerned about Victor and Sonny. And I'm concerned about whoever else the missionaries we support, Carrie and Gary. I'm concerned about them. And I believe God wants to use them. And so I want to give so that money can go to them so they don't have to stop and get a job, but they can just be free to serve. And Titus, that was his heart. He had a kingdom view. He didn't even have to be told. It's just beautiful. It's just beautiful, isn't it? He didn't even have to be told. And I just pray, my heart, I hope my heart's that way. We need to ask ourselves, look at the notes. Do you have a God-given concern for the things of God when it comes to giving? How ready are you to give as the Lord prompts? 
as the Lord prompts, not Pastor Bill, not Pastor Vince, nobody else, as the Lord prompts. Do you have some food coupons in your, in your purse or your wallet? How many of us know homeless people in Napa by their first name and have had conversations with them? You know? Few of us. I pray that more of us would. So you, there are homeless people that I don't give anything to and there are homeless people that I give cash to because I believe that it's appropriate for some of them. Legitimate needs. How many of us are ready to do that? How many of us are ready to hear? If, if I said, hey, there's an emergency at the church in Viscaino, they need $3,000 to fix the van, it blew up and there's an immediate need, how many of you would be, I've been praying about, I have this extra money and we decided we're not going to go on this extravagant vacation this year. Nothing wrong with extravagant vacations. For the glory of God, go get refreshed. Take Jesus to wherever you're going to Paris. Take Jesus to Paris, you know? Like whatever. But how ready are you to give? Is it something that's always in your mind? Or are you just like, oh, I forgot about it again? I think the scriptures are urging us to be having a mentality of, Lord, I'm, I'm to be giving to you my time, my life, my talents, my money, my possessions, all these things. And so Titus had that care. Application, we're going to move on. Ask yourself, do you have a God-given concern for the things of God when it comes to giving? How, how ready are you to give? As the Lord prompts. As the Lord prompts. Titus was that kind of guy. That's a good example for us. Let's keep going. Other people that God was using to, to handle these resources so that every cent, every dollar would get to the people that were in need in Jerusalem. Verse 18. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. Verse 18. I like the way the New International Version says verse 18. We are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. Paul chose men to handle the finances and the men he chose, he knew the churches would say, Amen. That guy's a good guy. He's honest. We trust that we can give him X amount of dollars and X amount of dollars is going to show up where it's needed. We trust that he's not going to be skimming or you know, making excuses for taking some for himself or anything like that. Who, this unnamed brother, we don't know who he is obviously, cared about God's work. Look at your notes. This unnamed brother was well known for his ministry concerning the gospel. That means he thought about sharing Jesus with people. He shared Jesus with people. Also, this unnamed brother cared about people's souls. Only God can make us care for people's souls. And who did Paul pick? He didn't pick a, pick a financial wizard or a stockbroker or a banker, a guy who's good, you know, crunching numbers. He picked a guy that cared about people's souls. He said, you know who I want, you know who I want to take that money down there? This guy, and all the churches know that he cares about the gospel and he cares about people's souls. So that's the guy I can trust. He didn't necessarily choose a smart guy. He chose a godly guy to take care of this money. 
May I say to you, we have a board of directors here and they're godly guys. And, the, and the, uh, the offerings that you guys do, put in that offering box back there, we pray about everything. In fact, we met at 7.30 this morning to discuss how to best use the funds that are given here. You know why? Because God has made us stewards. God has made us managers of those funds. And when we have to cut something out, we cut it out. And nobody gets their way. May I also say this, and I'm rather proud in a godly kind of way about it, not patting me or us on the back, but giving praise to the Lord that he put it in our hearts. Nothing gets spent at this church unless there's a unanimous vote on everything. Everything. There's never a, a, a 60-40 or a 51-49%. If, if we don't have unanimous votes on how to spend the funds here at Cornerstone, we shelf it, we table it until we all agree. For 25 and a half years we've done that. I'm not patting us on the back, but I'm, I'm sure I'm glad we've never had a scandal over money. Praise the Lord. How many churches split over that? And sometimes it's frustrating for me because I know they're right and they just can't, I know, I know I'm right and they just can't get it. <laughs> they just don't see it. Oh my gosh, they make me grow like crazy spiritually. I just, my prayer life, just, I'm, I'm teasing. You know, I'll say something, sometimes they'll go, that's a bad idea. What do you mean it's a bad idea? It's the greatest. It's not a good idea. Okay, we'll wait till next month. I come back. Surely, Lord, by now their minds have changed. Come back. It's a bad idea. We're not doing it. What? I defer to them. That's why we have a board. Because it's not a one-man show. It's a bunch of guys that get together and pray and realize we have a calling from the Lord to manage the funds that are given to this church. But I just want you guys to know that. You can pray for us. That God will give us wisdom. Because things are always shifting. So, you know, as the Apostle Paul said, I have, learned to, I have learned to abound and I have learned to... What's the other word that he had? I've, I've, I've learned to, be a, to abound and I've learned to be abased. There's good times and there's bad times. And the finances go up and down. So there's always movement and there's always review and there's always prayer and there's always unity. And I thank Pastor Chuck Smith and, and he, you know, he taught me you know, about ministry from Calvary Costa Mesa and other men that have spoken into my life, if we don't have unity at the top, the church will never survive. The church does not survive. We have certainly had people leave the church and be upset with me and all that, and that's, that's part of the deal. But we've never ever, praise God, we've never had one scandal in the church over money. Never once. Because, because we're trying to do it his way. And, and that's, you know where we get that? Here. We get that from Here. Guys like Titus who care about people's souls. They're the ones that are handling the money. And then this unnamed brother who was well known. We don't even know his name. Some say it was maybe the, uh, Dr. Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke. Don't know. But he was, he was trusted. Our highest calling is to serve Jesus, guys. We know that. I hope you know that. And that happens a lot of different ways. But one of the ways that it happens is when you give. Debbie and I have been, I'm not thinking I'm going to lose my reward by saying this publicly, Debbie and I have been giving to a, to a missionary organization for years over in Asia. And recently we found out that things haven't been good. Monies have been diverted. We had a meeting with a lot of you here and we said, this is what we found out. 
We don't want to give to an organization that is not putting all the money where it belongs. There needs to be accountability. There needs to be accountability. And so, there also needs to be accountability with your life. If someone were to say, you know, I, I noticed that you're driving this and doing that and wearing that and... You know, sometimes I look at things and I think, we could feed 20 migrant workers for a month with that watch or, you know, whatever the case may be. By the way, don't start doing this. Or, you know, <laughs> I'm, not thinking, not thinking of anybody. I'm not thinking of anybody. That's how I measure things sometimes. That's how I measure things. A migrant worker makes about $8 a day. So mom and dad are making $16 a day and feeding them, themselves and five kids. And I think in those terms... And it doesn't mean we should never buy something that's expensive. That keyboard could probably uh, serve, uh, you know, support, I don't know, I don't know how many migrant workers. But you know what? It's also being used for the glory of God. So I can justify it. I could have got a better guitar. I could have bought, bought a cheaper guitar. This guitar, it turns out, was a gift. But when I buy musical instruments, I'd love to have, you know, there's guitars that you can buy for like forty or $50,000, old Martin guitars. I couldn't justify that. Somebody like a Ricky Skaggs, maybe he can because it'll be for the glory of God and he can justify it. The point is there's no, there's no rigid guideline in this thing. It's a moving scale, but the, but the question is, can you justify how you spend your money? Is it for the glory of God? Can it be justified somehow? If you are, you know, uh, if you buy a jet, I don't know if anybody owns, owns a jet in here, you know, I don't even want to know, maybe necessarily, I don't know. Can, can you justify it because you know what? I heard about this kid in New York that needed cancer treatment and we flew him out to San Francisco. Boom! Boom! That makes sense. But it's just because, you, you know, if it's, oh, I don't like sitting first class. You have to struggle through those things. You have, we have to struggle through those things. But the question is, what's your heart motive? Are you caring about people's souls? If you buy XYZ, fantastic. If you have a big this or that, share it with the the, the purposes of God. Share it with God's people. Share it with strangers. Enjoy it yourself too. I'm not talking about being monkish or asceticism or some some kind of thing. We're not more godly because we wear sackcloth and ashes or something like that. That's not not necessarily godliness either. But the question is, look at at your things here. Do you see your giving as helping to accomplish the things of God? Do you see your spending as helping to accomplish the things of God? The money isn't ours, guys. It's the Lord's. And we have to just be able to... You should be able to ask me anything. Why is it that you have that guitar, Pastor Bill? Do you think you really needed that reverb pedal? Why is it that you have two computers upstairs and not just one? I only have one at home. And And I would be able to say, well, this is why I have two computers. This is why I think it's okay. You guys are catching me, right? I can probably move on to the next point. But we all have to be able to answer to the Lord, first and foremost, and then secondarily to people. And I don't think it's okay if somebody comes and says, you know, uh, why why is Cornerstone spending money on this and that? I need to be able to... I, I shouldn't say, don't you trust me? I answer to God, not to you. I should be able to say, this is why we're doing it. So... I think we all need to be living that way. Let's move on. We need to finish. So they have this unnamed brother, verse 19, not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us. Ministered means to take care of. They're, they're managing the funds. Uh, 
to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind, the spending of the finances of God are not for the glory of the church. It's not to build up Cornerstone. It's not to build up Pastor Bill. It's not to build up any organization. It's for the glory of the Lord. And so that's another thing that we need, excuse me, to keep in mind. Verse 20, avoiding this. Notice how careful Paul and his companions are that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us. He says, I want to handle this in such a way that there's, nobody can blame us. Have, there's no place for legitimate blame. May I tell you this also? I just want you guys to know how things work here. Pastor Chuck, again, Pastor Chuck Smith, my pastor, he said, never count the money. You're the pastor of the church. You don't want to know who gives and who doesn't give. Why? Because I could play favorites. Two of you walk down after prayer, uh, after the service, and you want prayer, and here comes Mr. Giver, and here comes Mr. Miser. Guess who's getting prayed for first? (laughs) I could fall into that. I could fall into that. I'm a man. I like what Alistair Begg says, the best of men are men at best. I'm a man. I thank God I've never done one count here. I'm not bragging about myself. I'm just saying that's the way the Lord wants things to be run. That's, that's creating accountability. May I also tell you that we have different guys counting the offerings every week. It's not the same two guys all the time because then there would be possibility for money mismanagement. They keep each other's secret. It doesn't happen. There's guys that rotate through. I just want you guys to know that. That we're really trying to follow this pattern handling the funds very carefully and with integrity. Avoiding this, verse 20, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things. Notice, guys, notice, notice, notice. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Watch out for church leadership that says, you can't question me. Now, I'm not inviting, you know, an IRS audit from every single one of you. But I should be able to give you answers for why things happen and how how they happen. So I don't think any pastor or church leader can use the excuse of, I I only answer to God. That's not how Paul saw it. He said, we want to be, notice, we want to be honorable in the sight of God and in the sight of men. And I love that. I think it's tremendous. May I say this, it also applies to your life. You need to be honorable in the sight of God don't buy illegal things. Don't buy things that you don't need. I'm kind of, I can't tell any of us what to do, but if you don't need it, don't buy it. Use that money for something else. Save it, invest it, it would be better. Have it on hand. Buy some food coupons for the homeless. Don't buy stuff that you don't, don't be an impulsive buyer. Don't hoard things. The manna, the manna will go bad. We're given what we need, not, you know, we shouldn't be building storehouses and storehouses and storehouses for things that we don't need. Not, not thinking of anybody here, okay? <laughs> Just need to know that. We need to be good managers of the funds that God has given us. Verse 22, now here's another guy, unnamed. And we have sent with him our brother, whom we... Whom, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence in which we have in you. This is a third unnamed man, or a second unnamed man, excuse me. Titus and two guys. We don't know who they were. 
They were well known for their honesty and for their integrity. Look at verse 23. If anyone inquires about Titus, and this, this is totally legit to me. Well, who is this Titus guy? Well, I'm glad you asked. Who is this guy that you put in charge of the money? Well, I'm glad you asked. If anyone inquires about Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker concerning you. I picked him for you. I picked him so he could help you do what you intended to do so we all can help them. God uses people sometimes to manage the funds of the kingdom. Or if our brethren are inquired about, these two unnamed guys, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Titus was a team player. He saw the big picture. He didn't just think about himself. He saw the big picture. Look at Warren Wiersbe. There's a funny little quote down here. We need to laugh a little bit at this sermon here today, don't we? Titus was not like the committee member who said at the first meeting, as long as I am on this committee, there will be no unanimous votes. (laughs) He didn't see his ministry as, I have the ministry of being contrary. He saw the big picture. He was a team player. He didn't think about himself. We don't own the money we receive. We manage it. Verse 24. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love. How are they going to show the proof of their love? By giving. The Corinthians may have had a special prayer service when they found out the Jerusalem saints were suffering. Hey guys, we need to get together and pray. We need to get together and pray. We need to get together and pray. Fantastic. You also need to get together and give. He says, show the proof of your love. It's not sarcastic. It's not a command. He's just saying, boy, you intended to do this. It's fantastic that you intended to do this. Go ahead and follow through now. It's necessary. There's there's needs. Guys, may I tell you, there's needs in our community. There's needs in Mexico. When you guys give, I'll tell you, the, the funds that we take to Mexico really go far, far away. Other people, we have missionaries you know, in England, and the cost of living is almost double there. And they're living on macaroni and hot dogs, like, you know, most of the time. And never bring it up. They never, they, I, when I see missionaries that live in rich countries, I ask them, how's your finances doing? Because they don't want to bring it up. There's needs. God has blessed you so you can bless others. Not that there's inequality, but so that there's needs that are being met. There's a a godly equality. Verse 24, let's, let's end. Therefore show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Paul was boasting about them. He was sure that they would do the right thing. Check this out, guys. He was sure they'd do the right thing, but they still needed to do the right thing. They still needed to follow through. The verse that Pastor Rob focused on so beautifully, verse 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. If you're a Christian today, it's, and if you're a Christian today, you're rich. You're rich. You're rich. You might not have very much money, but you're rich. Don't ever forget that. You're rich. Tap into the riches of his grace and the fullness of his spirit. Enjoy all those blessings that Christ died to give you. 
and then see yourself as having that same kind of ministering spirit, that same soulish activity of being aware of the needs around you, being aware that maybe we don't need everything that we have. And look for opportunities to give to the Lord. And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Christ, gosh, it's the best life you'll ever have. He forgives us of our sins. He changes us internally. He puts motives in our heart that we never had good motives. And then he takes us up to heaven. It's a tremendous life.